Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You're listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Get caught up on this week's top stories from The Hash Crew. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Monday's top story. PayPal. Gotta love a good PayPal headline. Remember, folks, PayPal started the last bull run, and this may be a sign of something more to come. PayPal to issue dollar-pegged stablecoin based on Ethereum. It's a pretty big headline. This has been in the works for a while now, reportedly, stretching back to 2022. So not new news per se, but reportedly they've been working on uh, adventuring further into the crypto ecosystem with their own stablecoin. And now we're seeing it in partnership with Paxos, which was its initial foray into the crypto world in the first place. So really big headline. Interesting to see a big fintech provider issuing its own stablecoin with Paxos. Pretty crazy to see this. As you know, PayPal went from highly custodial crypto buying and selling service to now issuing its own stablecoin on Ethereum. Pretty wild and a lot of responses uh, around the crypto community today on this news. Jen, I'm going to throw it your way. PayPal taking that next step, I guess. I hope this kickstarts the next bull run because I could use some excitement that doesn't have to do with hacks and exploits. I don't know if it's going to though, but when I read this story, um, I just think this is web 2.5 at its finest, right? We talk about people being educated, people understanding what's going on, what we talk about here on the show every day. And I think the best way for that education to happen is by using the product, getting out there and like and playing around. I know we've called it crypto university uh, sometimes on the show. And I think that PayPal is making that easier. There are so many challenges and roadblocks when you're, when you're playing around with crypto. And so I think that this is really exciting. And that when, when people are able to use PayPal's uh, stablecoin, they will understand maybe the ins and outs of crypto a little bit better. And they'll be able to take that next step. And they themselves may be able to progressively decentralize in the way that they interact with crypto. So all in all, I think this is a good news story. It reminded me of Visa's announcement. I believe it was in 2021. Visa said that I think settled a transaction with USDC. And then earlier this year, that conversation came back around. So I hope to hear an update soon on what Visa is doing um, around stablecoins. And I hope that these big financial players playing with stablecoins, getting into it, taking the customer on that progressive decentralization journey will push Congress 
to finally come to some kind of agreement on a stable coin bill. Those are all my thoughts here. But all in all, a great news story. Wendy, what do you think? This is absolutely atrocious. I don't like it one bit. I remember I used to actually be very bullish on getting a stable coin, like a, like a CBDC before I, before I did a lot of due diligence. And I had quite a few experts on my channel back in like 2019, 2020, right before the panorama um, to kind of talk about it. I was like, this is great. It's going to be great for mass adoption. I'm super excited. But then I actually started looking into it and seeing what it looked like and seeing what they were doing in other places of the world and different types of control that they can have, how they can resend a transaction, how they could automatically remove money from you, how they could monitor you. So I don't like this. I don't think it's a good idea. Um, unfortunately, it's coming. One of the things that does make me a little bit worried is that they're going to directly compete with USDC. I made some content about it this morning. And my personal opinion, I feel like the public servants are allowing different large entities that I have a lot of control with to create their own stable coins to essentially compete against each other to see which one does better, which has better surveillance, and then pick that one to become the ultimate CBDC. Because it doesn't make sense to me for the United States of America to have multiple different CBDCs. I feel like they're going to need to have one. But I do understand the need for competition. But at the same time, we're going to take something that's going to actually replace the US dollar do we need competition with that? Like, how is that going to work? And also, it's going to be Ethereum. And that just makes me very, very bullish for my Ethereum bags. Not selling anytime soon. I have one question on your rebuttal there, Wendy. PayPal can already rescind transactions. They're already doing this. Doesn't this just kind of open up crypto to a broader audience? And should they have the concerns that you just mentioned? People can of do other they things. They don't need to interact with this. Of course they should. The whole reason why we Bitcoin, why we crypto is because we want to have control over our assets and we don't trust third parties. We always want to make sure that we're custodying our own assets. So again, like when you use a third party like PayPal or the banks or whatever that is, um, it makes me a little bit nervous to, to think about that. I don't want people having control over my money, even my money that's in a bank. When we had the bank runs that were happening and the banking contagion that the public servants blamed on crypto, that was a little bit worrisome to know that more than $250,000 is an insured plus the limited amount of reserves that FDIC actually has for the entire entire population or the entire deposits of the United States of America. That is worrisome. I guess I'll zoom out a little bit and say like all stable coins are third third party issuers, right? Like Tether is a big third party issuer that has money sitting in a bank the account somewhere. Sad, sad, though. It's going uh, to zero circle. Yeah, I mean, it's all like I will say like stable coins are a killer use case, right? Like arguably they're the most killer use case that crypto has brought to bear on the world to date, right? The ability to send money cross borders uh, fast, quick, easy. And to see PayPal take this step saying, hey, we kind of endorse this vision of making stable coins a bigger part of how commerce gets done in the world. I think that's a huge signal. I think that's really fascinating to see. Also, that it can be built on Ethereum is also notable. The bigger questions that you're bringing up are certainly relevant to the stable coin conversation. I don't think they're unique to PayPal in this instance. I think PayPal just becomes another in a long line of issuers uh, that we've seen here in the past three, four, five years wake up and say, oh, wow, stablecoins are a great way to zap money around the world in a digitally native environment. Let's do it. Whether it's, you know, BUSD worked with Paxos and issued a similar thing. Now we get to see PayPal USD sort of attempt to do something similar. I think it's super fascinating, but I'll toss it back to you, Wendy, for your thoughts. Um, one of my team members just sent me something from the actual, um, from the Coindesk article, I believe. It says, focusing on education, understanding, and adoption of digital currencies. Um, but basically, PayPal is focused on increasing co consumer and merchant comprehension of cryptocurrencies, stablecoins, and central bank digital currencies while working closely with regulators as the industry evolves. So again, this is going to be a marketing tactic, in my personal opinion. They are working very closely with regulators. And I think that what they're doing is they're going to get this stuff pushed through. 
And they're going to make people think, oh, this is great. This is fantastic. This is going to help improve your quality of life. But really, all it's doing is just making um, the United States of America more of a nanny state. And I understand that banks and, you know, PayPal, whatever, can go ahead and resend those transactions. But that's a whole reason why we Bitcoin is very appealing and same with other crypto assets. Once you click that send and you confirm, that money is gone. And there's no way for merchant chargebacks. Um, there's no way for your assets to be taken just as long as you own your private, you know, you have your private seed phrase stored safely. So again, this is very worrisome to me. I don't like it, but I will grift and I will make money as ethically as possible with everybody else. It's a really deep history corner for everyone. This the whole thing that struck me here was like comparing Tether, which is offshore of the United States, and then PayPal, and it's now Launchpad USD. And the fact that we've done this in American history with our economic system for like about 200 plus years, going back to like the founding fathers with Andrew Hamilton, where we essentially outlawed any sort of competition from overseas, built systems internally, and then set those systems out on a larger world and began to dominate. We've seen that in tons of times within like US history with different industries, whether it be like railroads, the oil industry, the modern finance. Now we're seeing with stable coins too, right? Where we banned Tether from being able to interact with anything. They were chased off seas in many different ways by so many different lawsuits. And they're huge, right? $84 billion stable coin, the biggest stable coin out there. And then we sort of created these parameters for someone to build something within the United States that's going to be like rubber stamped by all the uh, agencies that are in Washington. And now we're seeing that. So we're seeing the birth of like an American stable coin here. Uh, much the same way that USDC has tried to be, I think PayPal can be even bigger because it already has brand name and the fact it's on everyone's wallet uh, or on their phone at this point. So that's my history corner for you guys. It's been a little bit since I've done that. We've got to get Will on an American history podcast. I listen to that all day. We'll coin this. Work on that. All right. Tuesday's top story. Fake PayPal USD tokens pop up on several blockchains. Remember, you can build different types of tokens on many different blockchains, including Bitcoin. But please be cautious because there's a lot of fakes out there. So apparently there was around 70 fake versions of PYUSD that have launched on various networks, including Ethereum, BNB, Chain, and Base, which I believe that is Coinbase's native blockchain. And apparently the largest fake token minted on Ethereum has seen around 2.6 million in trading volume since its launch just minutes after PayPal announced the PYUSD launch. It pumped over 30,000% in the first eight hours, and it has now dumped more than 60% from its all-time high. Math is very hard. And I just want to let you guys know, to all the DGENs that are aping into this stuff, that are you know trying to make it all back in one trade, I salute you. But for the rest of us... Can we just stop getting hurt, guys? Can we just stop aping into this stuff? Because we're just going to get wrecked, okay? Will, you are shaking your head. I'm going to toss it to you. But I should have tossed it to Jen because she looks nicer than you today. Perfect. But we'll give it to Will. Will's wearing a white she shirt on a white today. background. Like an yeah, amateur. What, yeah, what is this? <laughs> Oops. I mean, I wore black last time. I don't know. I've got to switch it up. No, I didn't get rugged by this. And I don't think... Did you get rugged by this one day? Hopefully, you didn't purchase anything. Like This oh, is like no. a pretty typical... Good. Okay. You scared me for a second there. Right. If you don't do anything, you can't get rugged. You're slowly getting rugged by fiat. So just you know, keep playing that game. It's 2% yeah. or whatever, and you're fine. But if you can go buy a fake token on Uniswap, a fake PayPal dollar doesn't really exist. Well, I think you have only yourself to blame. I mean, this is something that happens every time we have a huge token launch. When a big name comes into space, there's always some sort of token 
Uh, the Ethereum community has a lot of fun with this sometimes where there's like pizza tokens or dog tokens launch. Those are always great, right? And it's kind of an expectation that you're going to get rugged or maybe you'll make some money. But when it comes to these sort of things, I think it's slightly more nefarious than the fact that they're taking advantage of people who think that there's like a legitimate project here and they want to buy into it and they just buy the wrong ticker. And then all of a sudden, all your money is gone. So pay attention when you're, when you're buying things. Like this happens in traditional finance as well, right? Like there's a new stock coming out to exchange and tickers look very similar. There's penny stocks out there and you just make the wrong purchase. Obviously, a little bit more nefarious here because you're able to list your own token. Anyone can create something that's permissionless on Ethereum or one of these other blockchains. So a little bit different, but I think it's quite similar in the end. You know, just read the screen wrong, made a poor decision. Zach? Scammer's going to scam, opportunist's going to opportune. Uh, but yeah, that's a feature and a bug of permissionless systems, right? These are systems that don't require permission for you to build stuff. And that's a great thing. That's a great feature of the decentralized world in which crypto exists, right? But the flip side of that coin is that this happens. You get people who are you know, sticking a, uh, a name onto a token, sort of misrepresenting what that actually is, and seeking to gain profit from less than sophisticated traders. So this is something that you're always going to see, right? You see this when yeah, I think, Will, you're right to mention, right? When there's funny things that happen and all of a sudden there's these meme coins out there. The flip side of it is that you see these more bad intentioned projects also get launched seeking to take money from unsuspecting investors. Overall, I would say the benefits of permissionlessness outweigh the negatives, outweigh the downsides, right? This is an open system that anyone can participate in and is sort of a core tenet of why decentralized technologies are more inclusive and potentially more impactful than what we see in the current financial system. But of course, it comes with this as well. And a lot of the due diligence falls on individual investors who need to be able to make that decision around what's what. So that becomes a challenge. And we see it time and time again. Jen, what do you think? I think we all could have predicted this. It's been a day, I think, since the news announced. We have more than 66 fake tokens out there. It happened when Twitter became X. It happens all the time when we have big news. People spin up these tokens. It takes like less than 10 minutes to spin these up. And they get out there scamming and rugging people. I think it's important to note that PayPal's USD, their stablecoin, is only available to people in the US right now. And to get it, you have to have a PayPal account. You need to go in there, create an account, and then you can either convert your balance or buy PYUSD. I don't know why that's so difficult for me to say today. PYUSD by converting what's already in there or adding more money to your wallet. So that's how you get it. Okay. So don't get out there and get scammed. That's it. That's my public service announcement to everyone who's watching. Don't get wrecked out there. Well, I also think too, this is, I mean, I'm going to get some blowback for this, but I also think too, this is a good kind of litmus test to see people use their critical thinking skills because the only people that are buying these PYUSD tokens are going to be crypto people. It's not going to be like the normies. They're not going to know, they're, they're going to know to actually get this from PayPal. Like, I don't think that they would be well-versed enough to go to Uniswap or to go with, to whatever decentralized exchange we have and to get it. So I feel like this is all mostly degens. And then I just hope no normies are getting wrecked. I hope nobody's getting wrecked, but come on, guys. What should they have named the ticker? What's your, what's your fabled ticker number or name you I, give right now? But this is like, to me, when I read, to me, it's like Pi USD. I don't necessarily Pi like USD. it. Like, Pi it USD. sounds... Favorite go ahead, like, Zach. <laughs> yeah, I think we should just call it Pi USD. Like pie. It's like a pie. That's like what it, it is. Mm-hmm. I love a good pie. It's, what's it's your favorite delicious. pie? Will, Will, what's your favorite pie? I'm putting you on the spot. Ooh, I'm gluten free, so I don't eat pie. Sorry. Oh, dang it. I knew that. How would I find that? 
terrible. LA. How would you find that? Yeah, get on over to LA. Get on over to any coastal town. You'll find a gluten free pie. Pie USD. Pie USD. You can buy a pie USD. You in the room for a second. It should have been PPUSD. That would have been kind of funny, but they didn't run with it. So uh, I mean, okay. he said PP. It would have I been good. called it pay, pay USD. That would have been better. Wednesday's top story. Let's talk about an announcement that just happened eight minutes ago when we started this show based coinbase's layer 2 blockchain is now live and available for all the goal for the project which we've spoken about on the show before is to bring the next million builders and billion users on chain and accelerate defi they hope to make it easier for anyone to explore and interact with dapps fast speeds and secure transactions settled on ethereum wendy i will pass this off to you are you going to be exploring base uh kind of but if i do explore like we'll talk about it on the show i always on my show um the o show everything crypto and nfts every day over on youtube sorry i gotta plug myself live stream daily at 10 a.m pst we'll talk about like these major news stories that pop up but as far as exploring base i will probably do that privately um the reason why is i feel like there's gonna be a lot of very interesting and fun projects there that are extremely risky and probably a lot of them will be rug pulls because that's what happens in crypto and we don't talk about that stuff on my channel unless we're doing like coin requests. So I'll probably take a look into it, um, but do, do it more so privately and just cover these types of stories. But I mean, what makes base different than any other layer two? Do you want to find out? Let's dive into it. This is actually a great story to follow up what we just talked about a second ago with a layer one that uh, brought in a lot of talent from the Libra project, brought in like this new software with Move and all that. Big announcement, big token launch back in the fall, kind of sputtered out very quickly. Coinbase went the other way. They could have launched something like a BSC. They could have launched their own layer one. But no, they looked at Ethereum. They looked at some of the layer ones that are out there that already have that first mover advantage, that already have a network effect. And they said, why don't we just build on top of it and save ourselves a lot of trouble? Like there's a lot of problems with layer ones because of the scalability issue. But if you start building these layer twos, like base on top of it, well, you start, sort of solve your problem and you're able to make a business as well. Coinbase is going to rake in a lot of fees from this project if it is sustainable, if there's a lot of projects building on top of it, if dApps, NFTs, DeFi projects choose to move on top of base. Now, the question there, of course, is like a regulatory one, right? Because this is a layer two that is apparently not really controlled by Coinbase, especially if you look at the bald incident from the last month, which did happen on top of base. And if the SEC or someone else comes in and is like, hey, we don't like that you're building this, that could certainly hurt the revenue. But I like the fact that Coinbase looked at the market and said, we don't want to build a layer one competitor. We want to build on top of Ethereum. We want to build on top of the stuff that's already here. Zach? Yeah, the layer two stuff. And again, like uh, a lot of chatter on optimism, I think is super fascinating, right? You have uh, these layer twos that are ultimately, you know, and again, the mechanics of each of them is somewhat different, but are ultimately settling to the primary layer one in the smart contract space, which is still Ethereum. And there's a lot of people saying, okay, this is the path forward for developing on-chain experiences that benefit from the security of Ethereum but also benefit from fast, cheap transactions that are, again, mainstream ready. So the fact that Coinbase is at least stewarding the launch of this thing and doing so on an L2 really suggests to me that this could be the model for future launches going forward, right? We may see less of these alt L1s spring up and capture mindshare, and we may see more of these L2s spring up for various sort of custom purposes that then settle back to the shared security layer of the Ethereum base chain. So I think Coinbase is pretty savvy in understanding that maybe this is where things are going and that they're putting their weight behind it 
as it relates to building sort of the on-chain experiences of the future, you know, as opposed to, you know, doing the Binance Smart Chain route, right? Which is, I think, is a Cosmos SDK chain, uh, but is kind of its own thing, right? So the idea that they are sort of supportive of this L2 vision, I think is pretty interesting. And you have them sort of, again, touting this sort of on-chain summer messaging like campaign around this stuff. And it's going to be really interesting to see. They have some big name partners lined up. It's going to be interesting to see like what Coca-Cola is doing, for instance, what kind of mainstream friendly consumer ready applications are ultimately built on base and how that, again, onboards or not people to the broader ecosystem. I think that's still really the open, open question. Does this onboard people into other aspects of the on-chain economy or do people just end up being siloed here? Either way, I think is probably fine, but it's interesting to see what the user behavior will be. At least that's what I'm looking for. Uh, Wendy, I think I saw your hand, actually. What's up? I just wanted to make a comment. I wonder behind the scenes how they did, like how they plan to launch this legally and, and working alongside their legal department, because let's face it, Coinbase is leading this charge against the SEC now, um, and they're pretty much fighting for all of crypto, which I appreciate that. But I'm really curious to see their internal documents with legal, like how should we launch this? Is this a good idea? Do you think it's a less chance of being a security? Just those types of things. And again, that's just speculation from my end as to what topics were covered with them. But I think it'd be pretty interesting to see how they decided to do that. And if the SEC will go after Coinbase for base as an unregistered security or who knows what else. I love that Coinbase still launched this while they're getting sued by the SEC. I don't know if you all... I know, right? So defiant. Very cool. Um, if you remember that Senate bill, I don't remember when we chatted about it, but you know, the Senate is talking about wanting to regulate DeFi like a bank. I am curious about how the rollout of base will inform the conversations about regulation, Zach, like, like you brought up, like, maybe we'll see regulators try and go after Coinbase and realize through doing that, that they can't stop some of the things that are going on here. And that will change the course of, of discussion when we talk about, you know, regulation when it comes to DeFi uh, in the US. And I want to mention, the mainstream brands, Zach, you brought up Coca-Cola, also Atari and OpenSea are participating in this on-chain summer campaign that they have going on. I'm curious to see how many users that this campaign will actually bring, right? Coinbase has been really good at seeing where people are building, seeing what's happening, seeing what's on trend, trying things out, discontinuing them if it's maybe not working out. The one I think about is when they were launching that um, trilogy with the Board Ape Yacht Club that I think they paused in 2022. This is obviously very different, but they've been very good at looking at what's on trend, where things are going and trying it out. I will be very curious to see how many people actually use the product. And a disclosure, I contribute to a DAO that is announcing a partnership with BASE today. Whoa. Woo. I, Whoa, woo nice club. Can I snag this really quick? <laughs> yeah, snag it. Last thoughts. Last thought. To my knowledge, BASE itself does not have a token, but there is a BASE token out there that's not affiliated with the whole project. Rebase token. That's pumping surprise. on the news. Ah. It's up about 10%. The funny thing um. about it is Rebase token is a rebased token, which means that it increases the supply based on the demand of the token. And so Those people who are buying this are going to get rugged by the protocol itself. It's a little DeFi summer throwback for the story. That's Ooh, I remember right those. There. Those are so yeah. much fun. I just lost just, money all the time. I'm going to stay on the rap theme today, guys. I'm going to throw it back to Lil B, the bass god. Shout out to Lil B. All right, that's it. First <laughs> half of the show in the books. Thursday's top story. An update on the Ripple case. Now, last month, there was a big judgment from a federal judge 
saying that certain sales of XRP satisfied securities transactions, others did not. And now the SEC is appealing or is asking for permission to appeal that judgment in a major case that has been closely watched in the crypto world. When this judgment was first issued by federal judge uh, Annalisa Torres, it was seen as a partial victory for Ripple and a partial victory for the industry writ large. So clearly the SEC is advancing its case that maybe those programmatic sales also qualify as securities transactions. And they're asking for a certain type of appeal on the matter. Jen, I'm going to throw it to you. Everyone was super duper bullish about this uh, decision from Judge Torres. And now they may have to take it back to appeal. How does that sort of change our understanding of what happened here? This is another story that just will keep going on, I think, until the end of time. It feels like we've been following the Ripple case. It did feel like there was like a moment where this entire industry took a breath and thought, wow, this this is a small win for us. It's a small win. It gives us a little bit of clarity, a little bit of direction. We, of course, have, have seen since then, Coinbase has referenced this partial win in some of their filings against the SEC. And now I just feel down in the dumps again. <laughs> um, of course, there's still a trial pending here. And now we have the SEC filing this appeal, which I think everyone expected. The SEC said that they were going to file the appeal. The part that I'm going to watch and that I think is kind of interesting is Judge Torres said Ripple did not break the law when the XRP token was sold on public exchanges because purchasers had no reasonable expectation of profit based on Ripple's efforts. I just wonder if we're going to see Ripple's efforts come to light here compared to the price of the XRP token. Ripple has made a lot of announcements about acquisitions, new projects, new products. And if that is going to be some swaying information in this case, because I think that it's not a far cry to draw a parallel between Ripple's new project and the price of the XRP token, even though Ripple has definitely distanced themselves from that narrative. Will, what do you think? Yeah, classic Ripple. It's not our <laughs> token. We just found it out there. I don't know. It was in the wild somehow. Going back to like the, the lawsuit here in the case between SEC and Ripple Labs, you know, the programmatic selling part that Zach brought up, this is the thing that like confused a lot of people. And there was definitely a lot of lawyer opinions on this, including some op-eds are written on Coindesk. So definitely go check those out for an expert's opinion. From a layman's opinion, just looking at this, it seemed a little odd that you could have this broken up into two different tranches, right? Where we could sell to VCs, we could sell to banks, we could sell to institutions and that's not okay. But if we sell it onto an exchange where there's just retail clients and they're not really having an investment contract, they're just purchasing, I guess, like a commodity in this case or something like that, then it's okay. And it just didn't make sense to a lot of people when they first saw this. I only saw a few lawyers looking at that and be like, oh yeah, that checks out. I think it also, if it stands, sort of cuts the heart of how a lot of crypto lab companies or foundations do their sales of assets when they create them or quote unquote assets, oftentimes we see private rounds where initially there's like a pre-mine created and then they divvy up that pre-mine to investors, to insiders, to the foundation, to the early team. And then they do a huge sale to the retail, either through like an airdrop or listing on exchange elsewhere uh, later on. So let's take a WorldCoin, for example, they did this right, where they gave some to early investors, they gave some to the team, and then they gave a ton to market makers to be able to keep like the price of the token pretty steady. 
in order like this ruling from this judge, a lot of that would be broken, right? Like, would you be able to give a token to market makers to even loan it out so you could have a price? I don't know if you can do that anymore under this. Uh, it seems like you could only really sell it to retail. That seems odd to me. It seems like it's going to change. And I don't think it's a surprise to anyone to see the SEC go against this or at least try to challenge it. Uh, the outcomes from it could have huge repercussions for how everyone is looking at the token market. Zach? Yeah, my understanding is that a lot of these sales sort of date back before established best practices were set up, right, for a lot of these uh, token distributions, right? So this is this is from an era in which a lot of the regulatory kosher practices were being uh, embraced. So th- I think a lot of the space has evolved. And I think there is a question as to whether or not this will impact sort of the current understanding of how tokens get distributed to early investors. I think the SEC had to appeal this one because, Will, as you mentioned, it really undercuts Gary Gensler's argument that almost everything except for Bitcoin basically is a digital asset security. Now, I mean, I think my understanding of the ruling was that it's not really the securities, them, it's not really the, the assets themselves, it's which type of transactions they're involved in. And that was sort of the fine line that Judge Torres was trying to distinguish here, right? You know, similarly to how in the Howey test, it stemmed over an orange grove in Florida, right? The oranges themselves aren't necessarily securities. But if they are involved in a securities transaction, then they meet certain requirements in terms of disclosure and other things that need to happen, right? So the understanding, at least on the industry side, was, hey, the assets are just like the oranges. They aren't inherently securities. But if they're in a securities transaction, then certain rules will apply. And that's what George Torres was trying to articulate. Whereas Gary Gensler has been trying to say, these things are securities. They look like a security. They walk like a security. They quack like a duck. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. But he was saying that that is always the case with these things that they are, by nature of their existence, are, are securities. Whereas the judge is saying, no, 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 we need to look at the specifics of the transactions in which they're involved. So a lot of people, I think, within the industry specifically, saw that as a pretty reasonable explanation of how it can be both at the same time, a security and not a security. And now I think the SEC is at least taking another shot at advancing their case uh, here, such that other claims relating to other assets um, can be supported. But yeah, I mean, this is, I think, I think a lot of lawyers, this was definitely the thing where a lot of lawyers on crypto Twitter were sort of uh, placing their bets in terms of what would happen. Some were more cautious that an appeal would, would occur. Others were indicating that there would likely not be an appeal here. Now we see with this particular type of appeal that the SEC is going to have this one looked at again under video review, but who knows. You've been listening to The Hash Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.